Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On Shammet Synagogue and author Jonathan Ogg as they talk about this week's Torah portion, Vayeshev, Joseph, and where does greatness come from? So let me ask the question that we debated in college all the time, and I think people still discuss it to this day. Do great people make the times, or do the times make great people? Wow, you were a very serious college student. Uh, we were just debating uh, old style versus Schlitz for the most part. <laughs> I, I, this is what we debated in class, I should say. Oh, I, I, see. Okay. I wasn't like uh, late night discussions. So. Clarification. Right. I'm sorry, please continue. <laughs> I was probably would have debated air hockey versus foosball with you, you but go. that's a whole other story. Um, but what do you, you know, you're a person who spends a lot of time looking at the lives of people who are historic figures. I caught myself and didn't say they're all great because I don't think Al Capone deserves that categorization, but they are all made a difference in some way. They all are historical figures. So do you think that the times made them or do you think that people sort of created the times? That's a great question. I suppose you could argue that there are always going to be people. There's always going to be someone to stand up, but that the time is what makes it happen. There's, there's always going to be somebody who's prepared to rebel. Think about all the people who tried to rebel against uh, slavery, all the failed slave rebellions. The time wasn't right, perhaps. Um, but when you look at somebody like you know Martin Luther King, um, it's clear that he was not only the right person, but he had to be there at the right time because his father had many of the same skills, but the time wasn't right. The ground wasn't ready to be tilled, you know, and so much had to happen. His father had to do that work for, for MLK Jr. to succeed in the way he did. So it's obviously a combination of forces, but but I do think you know, the time has to be right, and you have to have somebody who sees it, who's brave enough. And, you know, King, even as a kid, was saying, uh, that's how he, one of the lines he used to use to uh, flirt with girls. He would say, I'm going to go back down south and kill Jim Crow. So he recognized that the opportunity might be there and that he had these ambitions, uh, but certainly didn't really know that he was going to be the one to lead the charge. I'm wondering if whatever time we're living in is a historic moment. We just don't always know it. And the reason that I'm I'm focusing on this is because this week when we read Torah, we're going to be talking about the beginnings of the saga of Joseph. And these are the people who are going to be carrying the covenant forward. And so so they have a historic sense about them, or they should. But it seems that amongst the brothers, only Joseph has that sense, that he is a dreamer, that he has this vision at the beginning. And the brothers, they succumb to the ugliness within themselves. And it is chaotic and it's a little crazy. And, and yet Joseph never doubts the dream, nor does he ever shrink away from attaching himself to something higher than himself. One of the really distinctive features of Joseph is that he's always going to make a reference to God, that it's not me, it's God. He sees himself as a person of destiny. And that's a really interesting issue, to me at least. I'm wondering, did King see himself as a person of destiny? That's so interesting. Um, I like I like the issue you're raising here. It's true for so many um, 
so-called great heroes of, of history, and it's true for King, it's true for Muhammad Ali, they're tied to a spiritual belief. They, they believe that there's something bigger than themselves. There's a faith here that they're adhering to, and there's a calling. And, and so they're, they're humble in that respect, but they also are willing to step up and see themselves as somebody who bears the responsibility, you know, like a prophet to lead that charge to be the, the, the fighter on earth, even if are subsuming themselves and see themselves really as just doing the work of God. So it's a, it's a fascinating combination that you get there of, you know, humility and, and ego at the same time. I've been reading about Herzl lately, uh, the events in Israel, obviously, are inspiring me. And one of the things about Herzl that is striking is that from a very young age, he saw himself as a critical figure and that he had a role of destiny. A lot of people believe that the Dreyfus affair and the rage of anti-Semitism that Herzl was exposed to in the 1890s was the impetus for him embracing this idea that Jews need a land of their own. According to Herzl's diaries and, um, and other facts about him, he always had this sense that he was going to do something great. And I, I don't think that people make those kinds of sacrifices. His Zionist activities lasted for about 10 years. I mean, think about it, actually less than 10 years. So he died. He had a weak heart. He died a young man. King was cut down as a, young, a younger man. 39 years old. And he, and he knew that this was coming. I mean, it's not like he, he knew that he was a mar- And he was willing to make those sacrifices. I don't think you do that unless you feel like this is your destiny or you have a role to play in that destiny. That's right. And it's clear that someone like King or someone like Muhammad Ali, who says he'll go to jail for the rest of his life rather than defy his religious beliefs, uh, that these are people who obviously have healthy egos and see themselves as really important people, but they're willing to give up their lives to sacrifice for something that they believe in. And that, uh, to me, that's the key ingredient. You know, Dr. King used to say, if you're not willing to die for something, you're not living for anything. I think that's exactly right. But it gives people a sense of purpose, that they're needed. I think some people theorize that this is part of the state of Israel, by the way. People ponder and they say, well, how is it possible that a country that is constantly having to defend itself, constantly in a harsh light of media and often seen in very negative ways, how is it that each year classified as one of the happiest countries in the world, right? How is that possible that Israel is right, right in the top five every year? top 10. One of the theories about that is that people in Israel feel like they have a purpose, that they are part of something larger than themselves, that what they do matters. You think about life in the United States today, and you wonder, you know, how much do I matter in that society? And that sense that you can make a difference, that what I do matters. You know, whether it's King, whether people who were taking nonviolent protest action and wars, what was motivating that? They knew that there were going to be violent consequences, but what drove them was the fact that the times demanded it. And they could be part of it or they could not be part of it, but they couldn't live with themselves. They weren't going to be part of it. I think that that's so much a part of what makes for the greatness of times. 
I think that's a great way of thinking about it. And it's not just that you have a sense of purpose, but you're also part of a community that's striving for something together. And there's a sense of hope. I think there's nothing worse than, than a sense of hopelessness and despair and giving up as we see, you know, in many communities, many countries where it feels like democracy is never going to stick, that it's one authoritarian regime after another. But when you've got a sense of hope that things can change and that you're, even if you're struggling, even if you're suffering, that can really make a difference. And we certainly saw that in the civil rights movement. We certainly see that throughout the history of Israel. I'm thinking about today and I'm thinking about the divisions and the fear that we live with on a daily basis. Fear from each other here in America, where people are seeing each other as the enemy. And you wonder what is going to become of the American idea, right? Are we going to be able to resurrect that ideal that we are part of a participatory democracy, not just for the people that agree with me, but for the whole country. And is there going to be a person who's going to be able to unite this country as opposed to divide this country so that they can take advantage of those divisions and accrue power to themselves? And that, I think, is a crucial question, right? Because all of us really have a role to play in this moment in time, and every moment is a historic moment. Every moment calls for greatness, and I think this is certainly one of them. No, no question about it. So um, I, I look forward to the great person, the next great person who's going to step forward and, and unite this country and end some of our divisiveness and our political dysfunction, and I think President Taylor Swift is going to do a great job. <laughs> well, they give us all something to think about. Uh, there is a person who... Uh, <laughs> who's got, got the uh, attention of millions of people around the world. So, and I, and I do want to say, and I don't want to just, you know, pass it by, that she has shown herself to have her own moral fiber and uh, to be charitable and to be giving. And, um, and I think that then in some ways uh, she is serving as a role model to many and I think that's got to be a very heavy load, but that goes with the territory, I guess. Yeah, but we have to look for our, our heroes where we can find them these days. Here I thought you were the guy, but uh, <laughs> you know. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.